0: Father, we lift up to you, Scott and Stacy, and we ask for your blessing upon them as they go from this place. We pray that you would give them safe travels. And as they arrive over there, we pray that you would give them safety in a home church, one that teaches the Bible, that doesn't get off in aberrant teaching, uh, so that they become uh, even more solid disciples. We ask that you would uh, not only bless their trip but their conversation along the way and as they arrive give them good neighbors Lord uh, ones that they can take pleasure in having and we also ask Father for their children uh, Sebastian and Skylar, that you would bless them along their paths that they would remember what it is that they have been taught here and they would take it with them for the rest of their lives and for Jake uh, who comes to the youth group Lord we lift him up to you Uh, He doesn't have much meat on his bones as it is. And we pray that you would heal him up, that he would be able to breathe clearly, that his lungs would just uh, have the liquid in them dissipate. And we ask that you would uh, provide this healing even today in the gloomy uh, setting of the rain. We pray that you would clear it up and remove it. And, Father, we also pray for your blessing upon this service here, that as we get into your word, your hand of blessing would be upon it. And keep the enemy at bay, Lord. And when he shows up, we pray that you would let us know that we can pray immediately according to your will against the forces of darkness. In Jesus' name we pray, and everyone's sin. Amen. Uh, Just to give you a little bit of a heads up, today after church, we do have a meeting uh, for Mexico. It'll be a brief meeting. We just want to review what we're going to do, when we're going to meet here, and the procedures for getting down into Mexico, kind of give you an itinerary. If you think you still might like to go and you have a passport, uh, we'd love to have you. It'd be great. And we will be back here before Sunday church. Uh, We'll be back Saturday evening. Uh, to be more clear and we'd like you to uh, be praying if you're not going. Also we had our first meeting for Cambodia and we uh, learned the triage you know for bringing people in and taking the uh, blood pressure when necessary and the heart rate and getting the age and the name and asking them questions and if there's a cough you know we we don't want to be coming in like we are a sterile unit with gloves and the full get up and the masks and everything else looking like we're from Mars or something. And so we're we're trying to come up, we'll come up with some code words. There could be people that have either HIV or they could have uh, tuberculosis uh, where we are going. And uh, just a side note with that, apparently uh, the last trip that they had, they only had a few compared to other trips. Um... Because one doctor had infected like 300 people with HIV uh, over there. And so they're kind of shied off from these clinics a little bit. But we're praying that lots of people will come through and they're going to hear the gospel. As I've told you before, they're going to uh, make a request to be treated either for eyes or medication or dental. And all we do is pull teeth. And so we, we would just ask that you would be praying even now uh, that people would get saved and that secondly, uh, we'd be able to provide some relief, uh, some healing. They gave us a, a full list of medications that they may be handing out there. And we kind of need to know, depending on if there's a pharmacist or not, they're uh, giving the right medications at the right time and if somebody is pregnant and if they're not pregnant. And so we we want to be diligent about Uh, administering what we need to administer, but mostly the gospel. We pray for success on that. And there are a couple of things, and we'll keep you updated with this, that we're probably going to get for ourselves. Uh, One is a heart monitor, blood pressure reader. I know that there are some of those over at Walgreens and some wipes and pill crushers and pill splitters and masks and gloves and things like that. Uh, But we'll keep you abreast of that. And uh, Lord willing, we'll be amply supplied, and whatever we have extra, we'll be able to leave there. Let's take out our Bibles and open up to the book of Hebrews, and we're currently in chapter 12. And since we don't have the Scripture up on the wall, it would be advisable that you keep it open. It's a little bit of good practice if I take you to another place in Scripture, learning the books of the Bible. Now, when we left you last time, we ended on verse 17, but to give it some context again, I left off with the grace of God, bitterness, and sexual immorality, beginning in verse 15 of Hebrews chapter 12. It says, See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterwards, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. He could bring about no change of mind, though he sought the blessing with tears. And I kind of went through all three of those, Uh, the bitterness. I gave you an example of a dandelion and how that is to be treated. It's a plant with the a big root on it and the bitterness that is down in there uh, fortifying bitterness forfeits blessing and we want to make sure that we deal with any kind of bitterness and we also deal with any kind of sexual immorality and i told you that in several lists in the bible first corinthians 6 9 galatians five nineteen, ephesians chapter 5 3 and revelation chapter 22 verse 15 those are just a few of the mentions how important it is that we remain sexually pure. And so digressing even more, I gave you an outline of the book of Hebrews, and it's kind of like the B-series of Warren Worsby. The first thing that I gave you was be prepared, mentally persevere in the face of suffering and discipline. The second thing was to be fit physically, strengthen your feeble arms and your weak knees, seek that the Lord would help you in your endeavors to uh, be enduring. Thirdly, to be right, spiritually the peace and holiness bitterness godlessness and the sexual immorality that would all be placed to the side and we get to the fourth thing here which is to be bold i think a lot of times as christians there's this idea that we need to be meek as defined by being timid and i don't think you have to be timid whatsoever Uh, i think it's part of our culture actually That is weighing upon us that if you come right out and say, yeah, I'm a Christian, I believe in conservative values as opposed to liberal values, theologically speaking, I hold to the orthodox teachings of the Christian faith, I believe that God is going to come back one day and judge the world. I believe that there is an end to the world, and it is going to come. I know there are a lot of people that say, oh, that's just a bunch of hogwash. You can't believe in that. Look how long the earth's been around, and we're going to be here for several billion years more. And we're destined to go to the planets, and I don't think so. I think the Lord is going to come back. He's going to judge the earth. He's going to destroy the earth. He's going to set up a new heaven and a new earth. Now, with that, even myself, when I read that, I go, oh, come on. Really? Really? This earth is going to be destroyed. It's going to be burned up and melt away and nothing's going to be left and God's going to come down on a nice white horse and King of kings and lord and lords and he's going to land on the Mount of Olives and there's going to be an earthquake and it's going to split. Right. And he's going to bring back us with them because if we die or we're raptured, we're going to be right with them and we're going to rule and reign with Christ. Uh-huh. Yeah. If you told that to somebody in the world, they'd go, you're kidding me, right? You actually think that that's going to happen? And I can turn around and say, you think we evolved? You know, something like that. Are you getting into that argument there? We were created by God. And so there's things that you look at in Christianity, according to the world, the world will laugh themselves silly. Now, why do you hold to it? I, I tend to think that I am a reasonable individual. When I look at Scripture, and there's things that in there that are just like, Really? That like there's really angels in this room right now. Yeah, you can't see them? If you're shaking your head, yes, we need to talk. Well, Patty, she's here. But this, this idea, this idea that you can see the angels, well, you really can't, but they can manifest. And the world would say, uh-huh, uh, right, right. And they would say, if I can't touch it, taste it, sense it, look upon it, well, it must not exist, Right. And you know the joke about that. Well, that must mean you don't have a brain because you can't touch it. You can't taste it. You can't see it. But you can see the effects of it. That's why you know it's there. Well, you can see the effects of God. And also, as I've said before in the past, and I need to repeat these every once in a while, the reason we believe in the Bible is because it's prophetic. It names by name, people, places, dates times things like that and they have come to pass and they will come to pass in the future that's why you can believe things like the world's going to come to an end there is going to be an antichrist the jews are going to be surrounded eventually with everyone and everyone is going to consider them a blight upon the world one day in the future that'll happen i don't know how far away it might be like this week you know, that's that's how the world is looking at Israel. And the Bible talked about that, that they would stand alone. And we see that coming to pass. And so since it's prophetic and God has told us, that's why we can trust the things that are in here. Now, he tells us that we are to be bold in our witness. Now, when you're bold, you're going to get opposition. I don't care what you do. If you stand out there and you say, Whatever it is that you hold to and you are so sure of yourself, people are just going to say, nah, you can't be that sure. Oh, yes, you can be that sure. And God encourages us to do this. In verse 18, we're to be bold outwardly. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched. And that is burning with fire to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear, but you have come to a mountain ...or to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God, you have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven... You have come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous men, made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. And of course, if you don't know the New Testament, that or the Old Testament, that is what he's referring to. He's referring to Exodus chapter 20, verse 18, and I'll just read it to you here, 18 and 19. When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain and smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen. But do not have God speak to us or we die. And so if you're looking at this particular passage, you have not come to a mountain that cannot be touched or that can be touched. And that is burning with fire. Uh, to darkness, gloom, and storm. And that's what the Jews saw when they were out there. They were so afraid, they didn't even want God to talk to them anymore because God spoke and they go, Whoa, no, don't have him speak to us anymore. Moses, we'll listen to you, but don't have God talk to us. now he's saying just the opposite for us that we can enter the throne room boldly. We can intercede for people. It, it's kind of like this you have a CEO, right? A young CEO, maybe in his 30s, 40s, he decided to have kids. When anybody opens up the door to the uh, area that may be a what do they call it not a secretary today executive, executive assistant, thank you. I have to be politically correct on that. you have an exe- an executive assistant there. When you walk in there, the executive assistant says, let me check and see if he will receive you at this point or at this time. And they get on the phone. So-and-so is here for a meeting. Would you like to see them now? And the person behind the room, the CEO or the CFO will say, okay, you can go ahead and come on in now. And you walk in and everything's prim and proper and you take a designated seat and you're across the desk from the individual and he looks at you and you feel a sweat bead going down your head because you have to give financial reports to him that you are responsible for something along that line some forecasts that are taking place in the future and your reputation is on the line and you're kind of nervous a little bit usually that's the way it is but as soon as the door opens and a little three-year-old comes running in what happens he doesn't have to sit in that chair he goes around the desk sits in the lap of the ceo and the ceo is hey plays with the little kid and you know and they have their little toys and he puts the toys on the desk and then he looks at you Right, and you're sitting there sweating a little bit. Well, we are like that little kid. We are able to go into the office of the CEO and get right up on his lap, and you say, "Really, we can sit on the lap of God?" Not only that, but He's going to put you on His throne. No, wait. Where does it say that? Really, it's in Scripture. Do the Bible study. It's right there. He says He is going to invite you to sit on His throne to rule and reign with Him. And you might say, "Really? Oh, come on. Really? The God of the universe? Yes." That's the way he is. And so you can be bold. It's like as a kid being released into a playground, right? What do the kids do? They just go nuts. They head to every single thing. We can go into the throne room boldly. We don't have to worry that God is his judge and he's going to place his thumb on us and squish us like a little ant if we get out of line or something. He is a God full of grace. We're not to miss the grace of God. And that's what they're being encouraged to do. Now, going on with this, it speaks of a better or a new covenant. Now, there are seven covenants that are delivered to us in the Bible, and there's one in the New Testament. We have, for instance, the Adamic covenant. Uh, We also have the Abrahamic covenant, the covenant of the land. Some people call it a Palestinian covenant covenant where the land was promised to Abraham and his descendants. You have the covenant with Moses or the Mosaic covenant. You have the Davidic covenant that David would have, somebody always sitting on his throne. You have the covenant given to Noah. Matter of fact, I saw this realized yesterday. How could I see the covenant given to Noah realized? Do you guys know? there you go. It's the rainbow, and I saw one yesterday, and that's what I thought of. I go, wow, look at that, wow, there's a promise with that. That's immediately what I thought of, that God is no longer going to ever destroy the earth with a flood. And so that was the covenant, that was the seal of the sign of the covenant. And then we have a new covenant, but it's really not new because it's referred to back in Jeremiah chapter 31. It says where God will make with us a new covenant, and the covenant we are under Is called the covenant of blood. And we're going to receive communion, but that's the covenant we are under. It's Jesus' blood that cleanses us and makes us white as snow. We are no longer under any of the other covenants, nor can we be. As Christians, we are under the new covenant, and that's what God calls us to. And so we are to be prepared mentally, be fit physically, be right spiritually, be bold outwardly. And the next one is be watchful diligently verse 25 see to it that you do not refuse him who speaks which would be god himself if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven now remember who he's talking to he's talking to the hebrews and they would understand the history that had taken place in the past when they ignored god there was judgment to come And God will judge the entire earth. Verse 26. At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is created things so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Now he is talking about here the end of the world. Again, as I told you in the introduction, There are people that believe our earth will exist for billions of years to come. Of course, if we don't destroy it through global warming, if we don't destroy it through war, God has already told us how this earth is going to meet its end. He was not vague about it. He was very specific. And again, why can we believe it? Because he has told us these other prophecies which have come true. Now, you guys remember the number of prophecies over which Jesus fulfilled and will fulfill in the future? You know how many prophecies there are about him? There's over 300 Some people say 350 prophecies. Not all of them have been fulfilled yet, but in his first uh, coming, they say that about 300 prophecies were fulfilled. For instance, it was prophesied he would be born in Bethlehem. It was prophesied he would be born of a virgin. It was prophesied that he would be crucified. All of those things were given to us in advance. God wants us to know what's coming. He has prepared us, and this is... What is known as the end of the earth. He's he's telling us not only the earth, but the entire universe out there as well. Now I want you to take your Bibles and I want you to turn over to Second Peter, and this is where he talks about this. Through Peter, this word was given, Second Peter chapter three, and verse ten, going through to verse fifteen. It reads in verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Now, he gives a a metaphor here to give you understanding how it will come. How does a thief operate? Sneaky. Sneaky. He is a sneaky guy, right? He comes up and you don't know he's uh, robbing your house, being a thief, until he is actually at the window or inside especially if it's a a, a live burglary, which means you're in there. You don't know it until he's there. And he says, this is how the day of the Lord will come. It's going to be like a thief. It's just going to show up and you're going to go, what was that? And that's going to be too late. That's how it's going to come. He says, the heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. In other words, the earth that we have here is going to be opened up and obliterated. Uh, including the entire universe God is going to destroy it because what took place on, uh, on earth here with the fall of man that affected the entire universe and the entire universe they know is affected by the law of entropy which means everything is going from order and some people say disorder but it's going to be to an equalization where there's no atomic activity whatsoever if things continue it'll take billions of years but it will eventually happen the universe will not keep on recreating itself so to speak it will eventually run down like a time clock which should give you a clue who wound it up you know it was put into motion and all of a sudden it's winding down we don't have the opposite we don't have the opposite where the the universe and we are evolving upward it is it's going down and so that should give you a clue there was a beginning time now he goes on to say since everything will be destroyed in this way what kind of people ought you to be you ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of god and speed it's coming that day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat But in keeping with his promise, we're looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, a home of righteousness. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. So he gives us the theology, and then he tells us, because of this theology, this is how you're supposed to act. So we're to be watchful diligently. And then also, the final one, we're to be thankful humbly, give thanks with a humble spirit. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and he's talking about the new kingdom, the new heaven and the new earth that is going to be out there, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. When he does this, I think, and we're going to be there, Now, how it's going to take place exactly and how we're protected from it, we're going to be spiritual beings at that time, and it's a physical universe. And I suspect that that's how God is going to do it. But we're going to see his awesome power in all of its display. You think it was a big deal when Star Wars came out and destroyed a whole planet, right? God is going to do that with the entire universe. I've said it over and over. I just want to make sure you don't leave this place without understanding that. There is a time of judgment coming. It reiterates this in the book of Revelation chapter 21. Turn over there. I want to cover that as well since he made a point in Hebrews to say this in a couple of different ways. We should look at it. Revelation chapter 21 in verse 1. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea verse two. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. Now imagine a wedding ceremony who is beautiful. It's the bride. You don't want to outdress the bride, right? Ladies, You don't want to... Ladies, it's a mistake. It's a faux pas for you to show up in a bright white dress to a wedding. Yeah. Oh, yes, it is. If you do that, you detract from the bride. Can you imagine if another woman showed up, sat in the pew or in the chairs at the wedding, and she was wearing a sequin dress with a veil? Could you imagine that? What would you say? You would say, the nerve. How could she do such a thing? You would be offended... If somebody did that because they're taking away the glory of the individual, the glory of the woman that is there. And so God says you're gonna get a new heaven and a new earth, and it's gonna be just like that bride. We're all gonna stand and go, Whoa, look at that. And it's going to, the earth is not gonna have any sea or big oceans. It doesn't mean there's not gonna be lakes there. There could be surfing. I don't know. Could be scuba still there. I don't know what's gonna go on. You won't need scuba gear though, because you won't die if you go underwater, right? You'll be able to stay alive, you'll just be able able to exist right there probably walk on the water just like the D- jesus did And if you want to go somewhere you're not gonna to have to take a plane you're just gonna go i want to be here and you're gonna be there it's gonna be a fantastic existence and that's what awaits us if we are under the covenant of blood now it goes on to say and i heard a loud voice in verse three from the throne saying now the dwelling of god is with men and he will live with them they will be his people and god himself will be with them and be their god he will wipe away every tear from their eye or from their eyes there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away he was seated on the throne said i am making everything new then he said write this down for these words are trustworthy and true and so he he's declaring that look This is going to happen. I'm telling you this, and you need to write it down so that people understand this in the future. That is what we're looking for. When you're going through the terrible times on this earth and it is difficult, you think about this. There's a dwelling place in heaven that God has created that you are going to be living in with Him. We are going to be right there. It would be as if you could walk out these doors into a throne room there, and there's God. You'll see Him face to face. And you can run up there and go, Jesus, can you help me with this? I I have some understanding that I'm lacking. And he'll go, yeah, what do you want to know? He'll go, sit up here. Tell me, what do you want to know? And he'll tell you everything you want to know. God will give you that insight. And when you're not there, you could be somewhere else. And you say, God, I want to know this. And you would hear him say, what would you like to know? And you may even see him. I, I don't know how it's going to work. But he's going to meet every single need. And you can turn to somebody and say, Did you know? And they say, Yeah, I knew that. Everybody will know what they need to know at the time they need to know what God will give us that information. We will lack for nothing up there. And that's what we're looking forward to. Now, going on with this, again, the application, I want to say it one more time be prepared, be fit physically be right spiritually, be bold outwardly, be watchful diligently, and be thankful humbly. Now, at this point, I'd like you to turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Because I just talked to you about the new covenant that we are under, the covenant of blood. First, how do you get into the covenant of blood, and what does it mean? When Jesus went to the cross, and he had his blood spilled out for us, The reason his blood had to be spilled out was for our salvation. God declares in his word that if sin exists, there must be a sacrifice for sin, and the only acceptable sacrifice that God will accept, the price that can only be paid by us, is our lives. If we sin, our lives must be given to pay the cost, the penalty, For the infraction, for the sin, for the trespass, for the error. Jesus, since he was God, his blood was able to cover everybody else's sin. Anybody who wanted their sin forgiven, his blood was the price that would be paid. And so if you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved from that penalty of being judged and going to hell. God says, I will give you mercy if you believe in my son. And why am I doing it? He would say to you, he would say, because I'm a God full of grace. I'm doing this not because you deserve it, but I'm not going to judge you according to your sin. So when he says, I'm doing this even though you don't deserve it, that's God's grace. And then when he says, I'm not going to judge you according to your sin, your trespasses because of Jesus, that's mercy that he gives to you. Everyone else gets justice. Now, if you want justice, do not have Jesus be your Lord and Savior. Once you find out of God's grace and you accept it, then he has a requirement of all of us that we become disciples. And everything that I just read to you, to be fit, to be right, to be bold, to be watchful, he says, because you belong to this covenant, this is what you're to be. And so these things are delivered in the imperative mode, which means they are commands, right? Like, for instance, uh, somebody who can translate Spanish, what does apurite mean? What's that? Hurry up, Hurry up. do it. No, this man speaks Spanish. It's like, now, apurite you know, get it done. If we're on the job site in Mexico and we're building some houses and you hear the word, Apurate, it's like, get it done. Come on, let's move forward. Come on, let's move. It, that's what it means. It's a command. It's not something, will you please do this? It's not delivered like that. The being the disciple is Apurate, get it done. That's what God wants us to do. And so Being part of the covenant of blood, which means we have accepted Jesus Christ and his blood, which washes away our sins. His life is able to cover our sins. We cannot do it ourselves. We are ushered into this covenant. Otherwise, we are under judgment and we will be judged for our sin if we do not have him forgive us. So with that, he says there's going to be a sign of this covenant. Whenever you want to remember what Jesus did, you are supposed to take a cup of blood, so to speak, metaphorically, which is the fruit of the vine, which is wine or grape juice. You're supposed to take that and say, I remember your blood, Jesus, that you gave for us. And you drink it. The reason you drink it is because... The blood or life of Jesus that's in the blood gives you life, forgives you of your sin. When you take the bread, you become one with Christ and it's metaphor. It is not actually happening. It is not actually the body of Christ. Some uh, traditions teach that it actually turns into the body of Christ that you are receiving. I do not believe that is the case. I believe that is a construct Of humankind but you take that bread and jesus said i am the bread of life and so if you consume the bread then he says you are one with me i am one with you and we all have this unified together because when we take the bread you break it and you pass off of the same loaf so to speak you don't get a bunch of Different kinds of bread and bring them in. It's one and the same loaf, and we partake of the one and the same Jesus. Each one of us have our sins forgiven the same way, and each one of us get that grace. Now I wanted to read First Corinthians chapter eleven here that talks about communion. First Corinthians chapter eleven, verse seventeen, Paul was chastising, admonishing the Corinthian believers. He says, in the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. And he's talking about love feasts here, and I'll explain what that is in a minute, agape feasts. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. But when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. In other words, they're thinking they're eating the Lord's Supper, and he's going, nope, It's not. For as you eat, each of you goes ahead without waiting for anybody else. One remains hungry, another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you for this? And certainly not. Does your Bible version have an exclamation point there? Is he being passionate about this? If he was there in the presence of the people, he goes, certainly not. You know, is what he would say to them. In other words, you guys are really blowing this. Now, to give it context of what's going on, this is a a Greek city. People would come in and they would get saved in the Greek city. They would come into the church and get saved. They already live there, I would imagine, most of them. And so they'd come to the church service, and they'd say, hey, we're having a potluck tonight, and it's going to be, you know, communion. We're going to have the Lord's Supper, is what they would call it. So they'd bring all their potluck dishes and set down their casseroles and their roasted lamb and, you know, with the au jus all over the top and the mashed potatoes and the green beans over here and the kale for those people who wanted to be healthy. And they would imbibe wine, and they'd bring the jugs of wine, and they'd set it down, and the people who were wealthy in the church would bring all their stuff and set it up in the corner. And then everybody that they liked in the church, they'd say, ah, come on over here. But the people they didn't know so much, they didn't have much, they just brought their Doritos, they would have come over here. They'd have their burri- their Doritos or their burritos and they would have maybe some soda and some Pepsi or something. And maybe they'd have some wine with that, not the nice wine. They would have the nice wine over in this cor- corner, but over here it would be Ripple. And, and so what... What they would do is they would eat and they would feast and they would raise their glasses. Oh, praise the Lord. Kind of like, remember the writing on the wall in the Old Testament in the book of Daniel? And they're praising the gods of silver and of gold and of wood and of stone and all those things. They're they're just praising these foreign gods. So that's probably what it was like inside the church. This corner over here just having a nanny. These people over here going, we don't have much, and they're kind of gaunt, and they're eating their Doritos, and, you know, they're going, wow, they're having a great time over there. And they're going over here, all oh, those poor people over there, hey, let's praise the Lord, and they would take another drink. And Paul's going, you numbskulls, what are you doing? Don't be doing that. Don't you have homes to eat in? Because it was an offense to those who didn't have it. And then they say, okay, let's take him in. And they pass the bread around. Here you go. Yeah, let's drink up. And, oh, you don't have any? Sorry about that. And they, they would just do their thing. And Paul had no praise for them. Now, because of this, it says. Verse 23, for I received from the Lord and I also passed on to you the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me in the same way after supper he took the cup saying the cup is the new covenant in my blood do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me for whenever you eat this bread and drink the cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you, I'm going to tell you what it says there, have died. But if we judged ourselves, we would not come under judgment. When we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. What does that mean? Now, I was taught early on that if somebody receives communion and they're not a believer, that's it. They don't go to heaven. Okay, can God forgive any sin? Yes, he can. So that doesn't apply. If somebody takes it and they're not a believer, it doesn't mean they're disqualified from heaven. What he's saying in this passage here is these people in the corner were drinking, getting drunk, being gluttonous, not sharing their food with these people over here. And what are you recognizing when you receive communion? That Christ died for us sinners these people are not being inclusive. These people are being selfish-minded. They're not considering even their own sin. And in the manner in which they receive communion, being drunk, they're probably not even saved, is what he's saying. And if you continue in that, you will fall under condemnation and damnation because you don't even recognize what's going on. When we receive communion, it's not something that, whoo, it's a big party. no. Jesus died for us. And so we're to consider ourselves and our sin, and especially in the context of Hebrews, if we're not doing those things, getting rid of bitterness, if we're not avoiding sexual immorality and everything that is with that, if we're not remembering the grace of God, we are taking it in an unworthy manner. Which means, you have to ask yourself, have you examined yourself to see if you are in fact in the faith? If you are in the faith you will humbly come before God and say, God, I am a sinner. I have been sexually immoral. I've held bitterness in my heart. There is greed that is there. I am one who is divisive. I have been gossiping. I have been murmuring. God, forgive me for all of that. And it is by the blood of Jesus Christ that we can do that. So what we're going to do now, the worship team is going to come up. We are going to receive communion. And hold on a second, guys. Uh, If the worship team would still come on up. When we receive this communion, if you're not a believer, and there's a chance that somebody in here is not a believer, receiving communion is meaningless. It doesn't hold anything for you. You would already be condemned in your sins even if you receive it. That is not going to be the feather in your cap that keeps you in hell. The idea is if you receive Jesus Christ, you get to experience the new heaven and the new earth, then no more tears, then no more sorrow. That's when you pray and you say, Jesus, will you forgive me of my sins and be my Lord and Savior? Now, I can pray that for you and you can follow or you can just do it as this next song is being sung. If you do that, you are part of the covenant of blood. And when we receive communion, you are being reverential and humble towards the sacrifice that Jesus gave. We are not to receive communion and then go out from this place and justify our sin. If you fall to a sin, we have an advocate with the Father who intercedes with us. And all of us will fall. And that's where the Bible says a righteous man, if he falls seven times, he's going to get right back up and he's gonna keep on walking, and that's the grace of God. So what we're going to do right now, we're going to talk about Jesus or we're going to sing about Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for us. And as the men come forward, they're going to pass out the communion and the bread. And I want you to hold on to it until we can receive it together.